When you've seen one country, you've seen one country. I'm Jeff Stewart from Cineos Health Consulting. I'll be joined today by Sabine Detweiler to talk about how different regions, the US, Europe, and Asia treat pharmaceuticals very, very differently. Sabine has worked in the US in consulting, in the EU in consulting, and in Asia in consulting, and so has experienced over the last decade plus the full range of what it's like to work for many, many different firms in many, many different markets. No matter where we are in the industry, there's something to learn about how different, different regions are. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Global Pharma next on the Cineos Health Podcast. Sabine Detweiler, welcome to the Cineos Health Podcast. Thank you, Jeff. We've worked together at different times for places over the last 12 years, but you've not been in one spot. Can you just give me an idea of your career? I know you're in consulting, and I know that you've worked in Europe where I first met you, but that wasn't where your career started. Yeah, I did start my scientific career back in Switzerland, but then I moved to the U.S. to get an MBA, and that's also when I joined consulting. We were working together at the time. I was based out of Boston and was working a lot with pharmaceutical company and biotech who were up and raising at the time across the United States. And that's really where I learned how to work with big pharma. And then after a couple of years, moved back to Europe. It was Switzerland at the time. And then uh, later on to London and spent a couple of years back in Europe and then moved on to Singapore, where I helped build life sciences capabilities for another firm for the Asian market. So you've had that breadth of experience from the US to Europe to Asia. I think that anybody listening to this program is unlikely to have that breadth. So if you know one market, it can feel as though the other markets, either you think you know them and you don't really know them, or they feel completely mysterious and you have no idea what's the same. I think today, if we can get some overview of what you felt in our industry feels the same as you move from the US to Europe and then to Asia and what feels very, very different. Yeah, you know, again, I started my career in the US. And for me at the time, everything was new. So I was learning a lot. And I thought it was a challenging market. But then a couple of years later, when I moved to Europe, I realized that Europe was a whole different beast. While you have one regulatory body for most countries, market access and reimbursement is very different in each of these markets. And I had to learn a great deal to understand how the different bodies work and what you need to do in each country to sort of make sure you got reimbursement. And so uh, while I thought at the time I was already quite savvy about the industry, I kind of realized moving back to Europe that I really didn't know that much and that I had to learn from scratch. And later on, when I moved to Asia, that kind of happened once more, right? You know, thought I had a fairly good understanding of the industry, having worked in the US and Europe and, of course, done global projects. But at the time, Asia was sort of on the race. So, you know, we talked about it, but there wasn't as much focus just yet on some of these markets. More than China became more interesting, etc. And so when I was out there, it was yet another learning curve for me because all these countries have their own regulatory bodies. They have their own ways of dealing with healthcare. They have their own health issues, some of them very different from what we face in Western countries but also a very different approach to market access in literally every single market. So you cannot become an expert in Asia because you would have to really know each market one by one. And so that 
was yet another learning curve for me at the time. What's the same? One way that we can look at it is each one is its own language and you have to learn a different language and that's just hard. Or it can be that, well, they have lots of roots that are the same. And so if you learn one language, you can move from German to French potentially or to English. And it's not as though you're starting from zero. What is it that if I'm in any one of these markets, I've learned and I can apply it elsewhere? Well, I think some of the overlaying principles are still the same. From a government perspective, you're still trying to get your population access to as many drugs as possible. So some of these things are still the same. Each government wants to have a healthy population. But at the same time, there are very different ways of doing that. Sometimes not just access from a financial perspective, but in some of the markets also from a geographic perspective. So for example, Indonesia, very interesting geographic market. It consists of thousands of islands. How are you going to physically get a drug from A to B is not as obvious as you do it in the US, for example. But that underlying principle that as a government, you want to provide healthcare to your people and you want to do that obviously in an economical way, I think that's probably still number one. And it's interesting because I think in most markets, population is aging. There are probably a few exceptions, but that also creates a lot of pressure on each market, on each government, on each population. How do you keep up with that? And how are you going to do that in a way where you can actually afford medicines for everyone who needs them? Have you found that the fact of modern science, modern medicine, or just the medicines that we've come up with in, say, the US and Europe and now in Asia... Does that essentially impose a certain level of this is how we do medicine and that seems to cross everyone and basically the science just tells out and people have to conform to that? Or is it that everybody reacts completely differently to take some drug? It acts the same way in many people, but does it act the same way in the system? Mm. So one challenge is that the different ethnical races may respond differently to certain treatments. The other thing is also is a cultural aspect. So for example, Chinese people, they grow up with traditional Chinese medicine and they have a very different view on how they want to intake drugs, for example, versus how we do it in Western countries. And I find it interesting that not many companies are thinking about that. Like how do I potentially need to reformulate my drug such that it would also appeal to a Chinese population. So when you say intake, you mean physically put in your mouth or not put in your mouth? Exactly, exactly. And sometimes, of course, you're limited because you need to bring it into your system. But they have a little bit of a different approach also to how they deal with medicines and treatments and how they think about it. So you have to consider some of that. And some companies have started doing that a little bit, but probably not enough. That's why also some really successful drugs have failed in some of these markets. Wow. I knew a little bit about the Japanese market. The pills have to be exactly so. They all have to look exactly the same. I did some work for a manufacturer where the standards for look and feel were much higher in the Japanese market than they were for other clients and other markets because that was demanded by the marketplace. Now I'm hearing a different look and feel. I don't even know what I'm thinking about. The Chinese market, what are you talking about? They don't want liquids and they only want gel tabs. I don't quite know what 
that means. Yeah, so for example, they're used to maybe taking herbs or doing acupuncture for certain things or having some sort of teas, I guess. But it's a different approach to medicine, how they do it. Potentially a little more holistic than we sometimes think about it, but just also very different. It's almost like a different thinking. I guess what I'm trying to say is it's not just ethnic stuff will play into it, but it's also the cultural aspect, how people grow up with medicine and how they're used to taking it. And will they take it? Because they might not want to take a pill every day. And no one wants that really, right? But you have to consider some of these cultural influences as well when you enter some of these markets. That's scary because I must say I've had either clients or they're looking at competitors and they're all US, all US, US customer, U.S. patient, U.S. physician, U.S. payers, and they haven't even considered how those are reacting to their dosage form in the first place. And there's no cultural barrier that should be there. Yet they've provided something in a nasty red box with very scary 27 easy steps and utilization is terrible. And what you say scares me for looking at other markets because I now know I have no inherent sense maybe of Oh, a liquid means this. A sachet means this. A pill means this. Wait, I've got to make sure that this is an herb form that is somehow goes into a tea. They're just not even in my experience set. Is that? <laughs> yeah, my- and th- I think that's where a lot of companies have failed at the time. I think they're getting savvier and obviously they're also learning. Western companies going to China, for example, or to some of these markets. And everyone is still learning. I think eventually it will balance out, right? Some people in these markets will become more familiar with the treatments that we typically take, while maybe there will be companies trying to find their ways on how they can accommodate some of their patients in some of the markets that they might not have been in traditionally. Another example was a European company at the time that I was working with, and they had a product which, as a side effect, caused rashes. And interestingly enough, people in the US and Europe didn't care so much about the rash. They just wanted to be better. Whereas people in Asian markets, they care about rashes very much so, because for them, it's all about having beautiful skin, etc. So the drug wasn't successful in some of these markets, and they had to find a way to also provide a lotion to these patients with their drug, just to make sure they could control the rash, because otherwise patients would not have taken it. This is a drug for a serious condition. I have a guess of yes, the drug uh, might be. This is one where I think you show up in the oncology office <laughs> and they say, oh, you're on that, you're on that, you're on that, exactly. and the rashes. And by the way, that means it's working, it's working, it's working. At least that's the, the belief that people tend yeah. to have. Interesting. So that was a failure because, oh, Wow. And if you haven't run into this, if you're listening to this, and you have a wonderful oncology product that's taken by pill and not infused, that's going to be very tough in the U.S., not because patients want to be infused, but doctors get by and bill, and they make money off of the spread of what they buy it from the manufacturer and then infuse it in you, and you get an upcharge from those two things, and that can be $60,000 or $100,000 a year more to the bottom line of a physician over time over these drugs when they have enough patients and stuff like that. Beyond what a patient experience is, what have you seen on the physician side that seems so different and that people should really take into account as they think from one physician in one region to a physician in another region, physician in another region, or even just how hospitals react? 
Yeah, I mean, one big learning was between US and Europe, for example, in oncology, it's a generalization, but physicians in the US or oncologists in the US probably more concerned with efficacy, while in Europe, they're a bit more concerned with safety, tolerability, making sure quality of life is maintained while patients get treatment. Unfortunately, in some of the Asian markets, access to especially oncology drugs, for example, is still a huge issue. And some of the new treatments that we were getting in Europe and or the US, they won't get them or they might have them if they need to, but they will not get access to them because they can't afford them. But sometimes the unfortunate thing is also that the infrastructure is just not there to serve these patients and or as I said before, for example, in Indonesia, it's just really hard to get these drugs because it's so hard to physically get them from one location to the other with 30 plus degrees Celsius. <laughs> I don't know how that translates to Fahrenheit, but it's it, warm. It, it's it's warm. <laughs> um, 90 plus. Yeah. So to get that drug from A to B when you should really cool it down. So in some of these markets, they still have some very fundamental issues within their hospitals or systems that if you don't solve them, then it doesn't matter whether you have a drug, which would be great for these patients. It's just the whole system isn't set up to support that. Mm. And by the way, also in Africa, sometimes the frustration also, I guess, of pharmaceutical companies, hospital, everyone in the value chain of healthcare, it's almost like also an infrastructural problem where they need to build that and the supply chain such that they can actually get access to these treatments. Okay, so we've moved from the patient to the physician slash hospital and the delivery and that's there. Is there anything else from the regulatory perspective or the whole country perspective that we need to think about differently or you just need to kind of watch out for? From a regulatory perspective, I think many regulators in at least Asian countries also are starting to think, well, how can they accelerate approval of drugs and bring treatments faster to market? So that's certainly one thing every government and or regulatory body is concerned with. At the same time, you have countries also where they're trying to balance the influx from Western medicines into their country versus providing their own supply of medicines. And unfortunately, that might not always be your best in class new treatments that we would get in other markets. But they're also trying to make sure that local industry is working and that locally produced drugs will get access to their markets as well. So it's also something you need to consider sometimes when you go into these markets that there might be some policies, whether official or unspoken, that will make it more difficult to enter a market. Well, Sabine Dietweiler, you've given me a lot to think about <laughs> and that's a lot to think about as you move from the US to Europe to Asia and back and forth. Thanks so much for being on the Cineo Health Podcast. Thank you very much, Tim. That's all for today's episode of the Cineo's Health Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Stewart from Cineo's Health Consulting. If you want to talk through a hard decision you're making at your life sciences company, you may email me at podcast at Health.com. If you like what you hear, please rate and review us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For access to more future-focused, actionable life sciences insights, visit the Cineos Health Insights Hub at insightshub.health. Cineos Health, shortening the distance from lab to life. <laughs>